apologize for last week. I'm not sure what happened if I accidentally turned my microphone off or whatever, but I noticed when I went to review some of the things that we talked about last week that there was dead air. So uh, if you went to listen to last week's Sunday school, I'm not sure what was, what was wrong there, but it's possible that I accidentally turned it off. Um, so uh, if you have your sheet from last week, um, we're going to continue, and it says 1 Thessalonians 5, but we actually took a little side trip into Ephesians 6, and so that's where we're going to pick it up this week, is Ephesians chapter 6, because 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, um, and 8, actually verse 8 says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate excuse me, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So he talks a little bit about the, uh, the armor of God, and we're going to look at that a little more extensively this morning before we continue on. So let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into Ephesians chapter 6. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for not leaving us without hope. Um, Lord, I thank you for the scripture that you have given us to help us understand how to live, um, help us to realize what being Christ-like means. Not only that, but the tools that you give us to do that. Um, so Lord, I pray that we take advantage of that and that we demonstrate to people around us, um, Lord, to one another as well as to the lost world, <coughs> what it means to follow you. And Lord, what the reward is, for doing that, and also what the consequence is for choosing not to. And, uh, and I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So does anybody not have a sheet from last week? Um, it's dated the 4th, yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, I, I actually didn't realize last week that I forgot to change the title. Um, so if you want to jot this on there, you can, feel free to, but if you don't, it's not necessary. The title, <laughs> the title on this particular study is, Do We Wake Up Grumpy? And uh, so that's, that's, based, <laughs> that's based on <laughs> a little joke that I heard where one gentleman asks another gentleman, he says, do you wake up grumpy sometimes? <laughs> Would you like to finish it? Yeah, I told her this joke last week, I think. He says, do you wake up grumpy sometimes? And he says, yeah. He said, but most of the time I just let her sleep. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's, that's your joke for today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> um, the context of 1 Thessalonians 5, there's, there's and, and actually in chapter 4, there's a couple of references to being asleep or being awake. Um, and, and we're going to look a little more extensively into that the first couple, today possibly, if not today, next week. But I want to pick up where we left off last week. We were talking about the breastplate of righteousness um, and in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 8, it, says, it talks about faith and love. 
Um, can anybody quote to me Proverbs 4.23 besides Jim because I know he knows it. <laughs> Above all. Who said it? Go ahead. Nice and guard your heart. Why? Everything you do comes from it. So in other words, if, if the world says follow your heart, does Proverbs uh, 4.23 say follow your heart? <laughs> it says if you, it's basically saying if you're guarding it properly and you're doing what God wants you to do, then yes, you can follow your heart then. But it doesn't say follow your heart first. It doesn't say follow you what you feel is right. Those kinds of things. It says guard your heart. And so when you talk about, what's that? That's Proverbs 4.23, and it's right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it is, on your, it is on your sheet. So <clears throat> guard your heart. So there's a command that's given and that applies all throughout the Scripture, but it's mentioned in Proverbs, and it's also implied several other places. And so if you look at Psalm 132, verse 9, I don't remember if we looked at this last week or not, um, at this particular verse. 132, verse 9. And the whole chapter is a really good read. But he says, may your priests be clothed with your righteousness and may your faithful people sing for joy. And, and so is he talking about material clothing here? No, he's talking about the things that you put on as a follower of God. Bless you. As a follower of Christ. And so Isaiah 59, we can turn there as well. A number of these elements of the armor of God are mentioned in Old Testament prophecies as well as Old Testament instructions. So Isaiah 59, 17 says, um, and the context of this is actually uh, the context of, of uh, Israel confessing and repenting um, of, of sins. And so he gets down to... Um, what did I say? Verse, verse 17. Actually, verse 15. Let's start there. Truth is nowhere to be found, and, wherever, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice, and he saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And so if you look at Hebrews where he says that he learned obedience um, through everything that he uh, experienced, Jesus Christ had to put on the armor of God just like we do. Yeah, yeah, so he's... and. Uh, so back, if you back up just a little bit to Isaiah um, 52, we're going to read in the next, uh, the next part of this uh, about the feet that are 
that are dressed with preparation to bring the message of Christ. Um, Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so in Romans 10, that's the next verse that you have on your sheet. In Romans 10, 14 and 15, Paul reiterates what is written here. And it's just after verses that say, if you confess Jesus is Lord with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he's explaining when we get towards the end of that chapter that there's got to be people that are willing to move. There's got to be people who are willing to take that message and deliver it where it needs to go. And so when we think about 1 Peter um, 3, 15, and 16, who can tell me that verse? Revere Christ as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Why? Does anybody remember verse 16? I don't remember it exactly either, <laughs> so I got a cheat and look, so I'm sorry. First Peter 3, just keep your finger in Romans 10. First uh, Peter 3:16. He says, "Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who sp- speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander." And so there's, a, there's an element, I believe, to this verse that we in the United States have, have forgotten how to do. Um, I heard it put this way, that, that most in the United States today have lost the ability to blush. The ability to blush. We've lost, we've lost the capacity to feel shame over evil because there's such a small element of comparison to what is good there's not a a a public visible display of what is good and and so we've kind of lost the ability to feel shame for things that are evil and and my dad used to say things like this you can always tell a crooked board by putting it up to next to a straight one (laughs) and i'm like well that makes sense you know But what a profound statement when it comes to spirituality. If you want to see how evil the world is, there has to be something spiritually good that is accurate to put it up against to understand how how evil it really is. And so there's, there's a place right now in our world that we're calling evil good and we're calling good evil. And so... Um, all that to say in, in Romans 10, <clears throat> you know, I, read, I mentioned to you, uh, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And verse 10 says, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. If we jump down to verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, Isaiah 52, 7, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? 
Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so Ephesians, back in Ephesians 6, the feet that are, sorry, I, I memorized this verse in the King James, so it's having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's how it's, <laughs> that's how I remember it, so I have to read it in the NIV to clarify it. But having feet that are ready to deliver the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And again, I go back to 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Always be ready to give an answer. And so when does that mean? Whenever. It means whenever. It means at all times, every moment of every day. If, so if I'm out on date night with my wife and somebody comes up and wants to ask me a question because they saw us pray before our meal and they want to ask us a question, should I be ready to take the time to sit and talk with the waiter or the waitress or whoever or the, the person sitting next to us about Christ? Okay. Right. Seeing opportunities. Right. 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 That's a good point. I, I don't watch Jeopardy, so that I thank you for explaining that to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not smart enough to be on shows like that. You know, we were watching Wheel of Fortune one day, and I'm sitting there looking at it, going, "What? That don't make any sense to me." And all of a sudden, somebody spits out the answer, and I was like. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm horrible at those games. Yes? Um, I was at, uh, when the other day, I was in school, and it made me really curious to see the next Yeah, yeah, that's, it, it's, it's encouraging, yeah. Right, right. And so if you pass somebody in the doorway and they say, how are you today? Jesus loves you. you know, or, or Jesus, and incorporating that somehow in the conversation. Um, you know, somebody asked me the other day, when I, well, I mentioned I was going to the chiropractor. I walked in, she says, how are you today? And I said, is that a trick question? She says, kind of gives me a puzzled look. And I said, because you expect me to say I'm fine. I said, the reality is I'm in pain but I'm blessed beyond measure. <laughs> and so he goes, you know what? Okay, yeah. And there was somebody else standing there and listening to the conversation, kind of chuckling along and, you know. Um, and they have different Christian-type things setting up, you know. And, and so they have, you know, some what people would call Christian music playing in the office and that kind of thing. But it, that opens up opportunities to have conversations about uh, following Christ. At my chiropractor, uh, Dr. Becker. What's that? Oh, sorry. I, I, I shouldn't promote. Uh, anyway. Well, you did. You did. And, and, you know, the first time I ever went in there was probably three or four years ago, and I went in there kind of skeptical of, of chiropractic, you know, type stuff. And I, and I had asked, I will let you tell me what my physical body needs. Will you talk with me and let me talk with you about what our spiritual body needs? 
And they said, yeah. I said, you, if you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you as much of my time as you want. And so that was kind of interesting. So when I went in there yesterday, I said, do you remember me? Oh, yes, we remember you very well. <laughs> uh, so I was like, oh, okay. You know, it was, it's been a few years ago. And I thought, <laughs> so anyway, yes. I, I think that's possible, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I was a trained gutter rat mechanic. My dad was one time. And your, your father and son asked this very proper, hey, what's interested in seeing you go toward the same way? They're like, really? And they, but they knew they were pretty good kids. Yeah. Right. 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 You don't take a. Right, right. So what you were describing with things, the kind of crazy things that go through my head is no weapon formed against us shall prosper and you pull the pin and you throw a grenade at them, you know. That's, and sometimes that's what we do and we don't realize that that's what we're doing. I wasn't saying to develop Right. I was saying Yes. Right. 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 Um, yeah, and I, I agree with that 100%. And some of the things that I've been listening to here and there, you know, on the internet and stuff like that, is I'm finding people who are, who are doing just that. They're engaging in a conversation with somebody about a social issue that... And then they're leading them to, to show, to demonstrate what God says. And, and most of the time, the people that have these social issues that they want to defend, most of the time, by the end of the conversation, they're going, wow, I never thought about it like that. You know, so people would, you know, th- this one guy, he started asking this young, this young woman, well, th- what's the purpose of sex? You know, because she's like, well, it's my body, it's my choice, it's this, it's this. 
And he says, okay, well, what's, what's, what's the purpose of sex? What's its, what's its design? She goes, well, it's designed for procreation, and it's designed for pleasure between, you know, two people who, who really love each other. And so he says, so why would you take and destroy what you're saying it's designed, its purpose is? And, and she's like, well, well, because I just don't want to. And so, and she makes it clear that it's a very selfish motive that she wants to violate God's design, even though she's not acknowledging it as God's design, but she is acknowledging that the purpose of it in all of nature, you don't ever see a horse give birth to a, to a foal, turn around and kill it. Yeah. And so you don't, you don't see those kinds of things in nature where, you know, animals or, or anything like that ever comes to a point where a dog goes, well, it's my body, it's my choice. I don't want these puppies. They, their nature is, is when they give birth to puppies, they nurture them, they take care of them. Some better than others, but they still don't go and kill them. And that's a human uh, choice that we make. Right, right. 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 Sure. Right. Right, right. When does it become a productive member of society, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and when do they stop having value? When does it expire? You know, because they're doing the same thing with elderly. You know, they're trying to say, I mean, insurance companies all around the world are trying to say, or at least around our country are trying to say, okay, when you reach a certain age, you no longer have value unless you hold a position that's valuable to the whole nation or the whole country or the state or, or that kind of thing. Right, right. And that's a, that's a prime example right there. Right. Right. So they were asking themselves, what is this thing? Right. And they're realizing that when they ask themselves that question, the people that said, well, it's this fecal matter, or fetus matter, or it's this, you know, it's not a human yet. And then they see that, and the people that were saying that stopped. Right. So I'm going to give you, uh, and the reason why I'm going to give you this challenge or this assignment, because I forgot what it means, but I know it means, there's the, the Latin word, fetus. Go home and, and Google search that and find out what it means. Uh, because the word 
I wish I could remember. I'm sorry. You can. Why don't you look that up right now? Uh, <clears throat> what does it mean? Because it, it actually means life. It means, um, and I, I, I wish I could remember. I'm sorry. Uh, so. Right, right. So, um, yeah, what do you have? Okay, and that's all it says? Okay, okay. That's the word I was looking for, offspring. Thank you. Uh because, yeah, that word means offspring, and so when you describe offspring, it is from conception all the way through the life process. Um, and so that's the word that, that, that is used to describe uh, a fetus. And so when you have conversations with people and they say it is just a fetus, okay, that word means offspring. What does the word offspring mean to you? It means reproducing one like yourself. One like the two that have come together to become one. So anyway, we kind of got a little off track there, but being ready with your feet to bring the message of good news is a part of the uh, uh, a part of the um, the armor of God. Uh, if we go back to Ephesians six, just for a moment, we'll look at the next element to the to the armor. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I always used to wonder why the arrows are always on fire. <laughs> and I think it's the audience, he's, he's appealing to the audience and their understanding of the armor that they see on the military in their day. And the reason why is I started doing a little bit of research on the the shield of the Roman, uh, the Roman guard and the Roman military. The shield was a metal plate um, that was that was lined or coated with uh, with leather, and then it was submerged in the water so that it uh, would absorb the moisture. And so when when arrows of fire would come at them. First of all, it would make the surface very slippery and the arrows could be deflected off. But then even if the arrow did go into a, a bale of straw or whatever, the moisture on that shield was able to go over and extinguish the fire. They could go over and just, and just put it out. And so that's an element of what they are able to understand. And so when you think about the flaming arrows that um, that come to us through temptation, what kind of things do we think of? You know, each one of us can, can probably voice something that is difficult for us to understand, and it burns our heart. It, it, it hurts inside. And so the, <coughs> the shield that is being described here of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the Spirit, how would you define faith? If we look at Hebrews 11, 
verses 1 and 2. This is kind of a definition, you could say, of what faith is. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so the ancients weren't commended for what they said that they believed. The ancients and the, the, the historical, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? The patriarchs of followers of God were commended for obeying what God said to do. And so you can read all through Hebrews chapter 11 and he gets down toward the end of Hebrews chapter 11 and he's going, if I wrote to you every single one of them, we'd be here for years to come telling about all of the things that they did. And it was by where they put their feet. It's by what, how they responded to a command that God gave. Yes. Right. Right. By their faithfulness. Right. 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 And so in First Thessalonians five, we're going to get to that point in verse eleven and twelve, and and how we walk with one another how we relate with one another for on a day-to-day basis. And when we get back to there, we're going to see more of what Jim was just saying. Um, so in 1 John 5, if we turn there, if you've been listening the last uh, several messages, you'll recognize these verses. Verses 3 through 5. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so every... <clears throat> right. 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 So yesterday I was actually one of the few times that I've actually sat down and relaxed and I sat and I watched a movie. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie called Overcomer. Um, I, I'm not, I don't promote the song by any means uh, because the song is all about me. Uh, I'm sitting at a stoplight and I'm listening to the radio and I'm I'm worried about my life, and and God reminds me that I'm an overcomer. No, this says he's an overcomer. And so, anyway, in the movie, the the guy goes with his pastor to visit uh, somebody who's in the hospital in their church. And so when they go, they're in in, in this area of the hospital, and a nurse stops them at the door and says, "Um, are you family? And he says, well, I'm the pastor, and then this guy is here just to... You know, he's here with me just to, to pray. And, and the nurse says, well, the family's in there now, so maybe one at a time you should go in there. So the pastor goes in, and he says, I'll take a few minutes, and then I'll come back out and get you, and you can, then you can go in. 
Well, in the meantime, he's standing in the hallway and somebody comes barreling by with a gurney and, and he backs up and bumps the door into the next room. And there's a guy in there and he says, who's there? And he says, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, di I didn't mean to, to bump in. He goes, oh, that's okay. He goes, I don't get many visitors. And then, you know, it doesn't take long to realize that the guy's blind. He says, well, I don't get many visitors, so if you want to come in and sit down and talk for a few minutes, he says, I'd love to have a guest. You know, I'd love to have a visitor. So when this guy gets up and leaves, he says, I'll pray for you. He says, thank you. I could use it. He goes, come back any time because I really enjoyed our conversation because they realized that they had some things in common. And so some time goes by, he comes back, and he asks him, who are you? I know this is kind of a long story, but I think it's relevant. He says, who are you? He says, well, I'm a basketball coach. And he says, I've been teaching, you know, coaching cross country because, uh, because everybody's leaving our school because this business shut down. He gives them the whole spiel. He says, okay. So he says, if that's been taken away, he says, then who are you? And he says, well, I guess I'm a, I'm a husband and a father. And, uh, I teach uh, health and, and that kind of thing. And he says, okay, if that is taken away, he says, God forbid, if that's taken away, he says, who are you? He says, well, I'm a follower of Christ. And he says, why is it so far down on the list? And he goes, well, you know, you can't sit here and judge me for that. He goes, well, let me make it a little more clear. He says, when you left me last time, he said, you pray for me. And he says, yes, I did. He goes, did you pray for me? He says, no, I didn't. He goes, that's what I mean. He goes, why is following Christ so far down on the list? And so, <clears throat> you know, when we look at the things and we want to claim that we can be overcomers through Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we, li are we really genuinely living through Christ? And, uh, you know, um, there, was, there was somebody this week that asked me a question about last Sunday afternoon. The question they asked me was, well, shouldn't these people, and, and this is not to pick on them by any means, at all. But they asked me, shouldn't this person should have set up a different time to do the things that they were doing and come and joined us and, and done this? And I said, were they talking about Christ with one another? Well, yeah. I said, okay, we're, what part of Ephesians 4.29 do we, uh, what, what part do we take out? So always be ready to give an answer, okay? When, when, Ephesians 4.29, now I can't remember. Uh, we should, yeah, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except for the building up and the edification of those who are, are available or around to listen. I said, if we're over here playing a game and they want to talk about the Lord, we should maybe be tuning in over here because by definition, um, several weeks ago on Wednesday night, we talked about fellowship. And when fellowship is restricted and absent of the, con the conversation about Jesus Christ, God says don't call that fellowship. Call it just hanging out. And it's not sinful until we say we're having fellowship, but we're excluding Jesus from our fellowship. And so um, all of that, I'm kind of losing where I'm going here, but sorry. But when we talk about overcoming we can overcome when we're obedient. We can overcome, Matthew 10, uh, I think it was, or maybe 14, where he talks about that if you follow me, there's going to be tension in your family. 
When you follow me, there's going to be tension with friends that you've had in the past. When you follow me, there's going to be exhortation that's going to be difficult to receive. Um, there's going to be admonishment. Do, does everybody know what admonishment means? Okay, well, admonishment is just like a warning. You know, it's just like, it's not really necessarily you're, you're doing a bad thing, but it's a warning. Hey, be careful in this area because it could easily lead to sinful life. Um, and so it's, it's given as an instruction multiple times in the New Testament. Um, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 5 as well. Um, but anyway, we, as we talk about overcoming in Christ, we move into the next part of the, uh, the, the next piece to the, the armor is the helmet of salvation. Um, and what does that mean? It means you protect your thoughts. It means protecting your mind. So when we look at Romans 12, we look at this verse quite a bit. Romans 12, uh, verse 2. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. I'll give you a second to get there. 12.2. The verse before, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. In verse 2, he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So transformation takes place as we study the gospel, as we study the word of God, and as we continue to submit to what it says and obey what it says. So then in Ephesians 4, I know we just read verse 28, or quoted verse 28, but if we back up a couple verses um, to 22, And we read uh, verses 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, uh, I'll, st I'll stop right there. We're going to back up and read verses 12 and 13 in a minute so you can keep your, keep your Bible open to there. Um, <clears throat> on the topic of this, because in verse 20 and 21, he's saying that he taught them that the first day. Right. 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 So repent, turn from sin, turn to God. Transformation demonstrated through repentance. And so I heard a very wise uh, person say this once transformation never takes place under just learning. Some, from somebody else's teaching. And what that means is transformation takes place on a day-to-day -day basis as we study God's Word, as we engage with one another, as we... <laughs> yeah, that guy was in the room. So <laughs> I don't know if he knows he said it, but I wrote it down when he did, and I stuck it. I've got a, 
I don't know if Larry, if you saw it, it's on the file cabinet at my at my shop. It's stuck up there, and every once in a while, I'll look up there, and a transformation never happens under just sitting under somebody's learning. Um, it's like, okay, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, the, some of the greatest transformations that have happened in my life have been sometimes walking in discipleship one-on-one with somebody and having that conversation and studying the scripture myself and going, wow, I didn't know that was in there. Um, and then all of a sudden things come to light and then I start remembering, oh yeah, this was preached here, 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 here. Uh, and, then I, and then all of a sudden it, it just comes, comes to life uh, as you invest your time and invest your own efforts into Jesus Christ. So the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians, 5, uh, Ephesians 6, excuse me, which is the Word of God, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, And uh, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so when I read that, have people read the Bible and walked away without understanding of who God is? Have, Have there been people who have read the Bible and walked away still not understanding who God is? Rejecting? Okay. Faith comes from hearing. Right. Right. So I think through hit pilot like a freight train. Right. Through hits a rich man like a freight train. But he wasn't going to assign who God was to his own soul. Right. Right, so I would say that people have read the Bible probably cover to cover and walked away saying, I don't believe it, it's not true, because they're cynical toward what it says. If they approach it with a, with a skept- as a skeptic and, and their genuine concern is, is I want to know what it really says and I want to know what truth is, they walk away transformed. So... Um, the word of God is sharp, and, and so according to this verse, should we judge one another? Okay. And how should, excuse me? Right, so, so, so right, so in 1 Corinthians 11, when we talk about, we look at the passages of Scripture uh, that deal with communion, that deal with the Lord's table, it says if we would have judged ourselves rightly, we would not come under such judgment by God. So, and I forget where the verse is in John. John tells us the same thing. The Gospel of John says, judge correctly. 
In other words, judge with the Scripture, let the Scripture do the talking and keep our opinions out of it. But you people who know the Scripture, take the Scripture to those who need to hear things and admonish them. Um, and, and Right, and so, and that's, and I think according to Galatians, I think it's Galatians 6, um, to be careful when you do it, to do it gently, uh, because if you don't, you could fall into temptation yourself. And I don't think the temptation is necessarily the same temptation that that person is, is dealing with. The temptation is to present yourself in a way that is, I'm better than you. And there, there have been times people have called me out on that and said, do you realize what you sound like? And I went, no, what do I sound like? And, and so, and they tell me, I'm like, ooh, I got to back up. Okay, Lord, help me choose my words a little better um, because I'm, I'm, I'm rough with that. So there's a question on your sheets. Does God appoint us to suffer? Um, take some time this week and think about that because in uh, verse 9, of 1 Thessalonians 5, he tells us that God does not appoint us to suffer wrath. And so the question is, is there things that God does appoint us to suffer? And uh, look at that and bring your thoughts next week and we'll pick it up there, okay? All right, thank you for your attention.